Joshua, a lot of Joshua is about courage. That's going to be what we're talking about today. I have the courage, I've worked up the courage to tell you that we are really trying, we're planning, we're hoping to do a renovation, like a freshening of, of this sanctuary over the summer. And just here, the current idea, I'm just throwing this out, you know, you, you, you take it in, and then if you have positive or negative feedback, you let me know. But the current idea is to um, get rid of these steps, make the stage uh, a little more, so we have some space here. Uh, take out the pews on the sides, replace them with chairs. Reupholster uh, the pews in the middle. And fresh carpet, fresh paint. If you're wondering what it would look like, what the, uh, like a sample, we've actually got a couple samples over there on the side of the church. If you look, you see a little, little pew sample. Uh, yeah, just behind Jeff there. And then a little chair sample. So if you're wondering what it might look like, uh, you should, after the service, you should go check that out. Take a look. Um, if you're stressed because you're on the sides and you like the pews, well, maybe you have to move to the center. Maybe you're okay with chairs. I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know how the clients feel about that. We'll see. So just, what's, what's that? It's a good balance, says Jack. And when Jack says something, you know it's true. I, I feel like we should just give you a mic at this point. It's like every week. Anyway. So that's a, that's a little bit of something that uh, we're hoping that we can do it this summer. We really need your input, your, your thoughts. Uh, because we want, I mean, I know church is a sacred space for us. And uh, change is always scary. Um, but what's even scarier is the color of those pews right now. Uh, it's the, I don't even know how we, I don't know how you put up with it. But thank you for doing it. All right, uh, let's take a look at Joshua. Uh, let's, let's take a look at the text today. And uh, we'll see um, exactly what uh, God might be speaking to us uh, right now. Uh, this is the beginning of uh, Joshua 1. This is verse 6. I'll explain what happened in the uh, previous five verses. But uh, God says this to Joshua, Be strong and courageous, for you shall lead this people to possess the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. He goes on. Only be strong and very courageous, very courageous this time, being careful to act in accordance with all the law that my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the right or to the left, so that you may be successful wherever you go. This book of the law, a law there is Torah, that's uh, literally more like instruction. Uh, we tend to think of it as like these rules, but it's really more like a, a, an instruction into wisdom, the wisdom of God. Uh, it shall not depart out of your mouth. That's odd. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to act in accordance with all that's written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous and then you will be successful. I hereby command you again, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed for Yahweh, your God is with you wherever you go. Uh, what's going on? Uh, the, check out this, the, the very first thing that, that, that God emphasizes, you shall lead this people to possess the land. Right now, uh, what's happened? There's been 40 years where the people of Israel have been wandering around in the, in, in the wilderness, and God has promised them, um, when, when the time is right, I'm going to give you the land, the land that we now think of mo- mostly as political Israel, uh, the nation state of Israel. I'm going to give you this land. It's coming. Uh, in the meantime, you know, they had to do, go through some stuff, but we're gonna, but God's gonna try, God's gonna make this happen. 
And where they are is they're right at the, the edge of the Jordan River. The Jordan River, I have a picture of it here, it uh, runs north to south and basically more or less is the eastern uh, border of the, the of Israel, the promised land, the eastern, eastern border. And they're standing there, and you'll notice it's not a really big river. Not hard to cross this thing. You can wade it, cross it at most points. It's a, it's, a, it's a pretty small river. But they're standing there. Why are they standing there? Because they know that if they put their feet into this water and they start to cross this river, they are going to be kicking a hornet's nest. On the other side of the river are the Canaanite peoples. They're a, a group of various tribes that, um, that live in the land, and they are very naughty. Uh, they practice things like child sacrifice. They have very sick uh, rituals involving sex. They have no respect for human life. They're constantly at war. And there's a lot of them. They outnumber the people of Israel probably something like 12 to 1. And they are not happy about the idea of giving up what they have. And so, if the people of Israel, if they step in, if they start getting their feet wet, they're going to be doing exactly, uh, you may remember Julius Caesar, right? When Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon, got a picture of that. Uh, Julius Caesar was, had, he was a successful, famous general in the Roman Empire. He had succeeded in expanding the borders and strengthening them in, in Britain, uh, what we now think of as Britain at that time, Gaul. Uh, and then he takes his army and he starts marching back towards Rome. And people are like, shouldn't you leave your army there? Like, why would you be taking, oh, oh. And he gets to uh, what, the, the river, the Rubicon, and, 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 and once he decides he's going to take, not just him, but all of his troops who love him and would do anything for him, once they cross that river, he's making, he's, it's symbolic. He's saying, I am going to take over. Now notice that the, the promise that God gives, this is to Joshua specifically, he's, it's singular, the you's are not plural, it's, it's you, Joshua. What he's saying is he's saying, Joshua, I've put you on a mission, I've promised you something, to possess the land, to lead the people. As a result, I'm going to be with you. Now I think that this isn't just a promise for Joshua, I, I believe that anytime God gives us a task, a mission, a vocation, when God says, this is what I want you to do, when that happens, God is making a commitment to you. He, God, you'll notice at the end, God says, I will be with you wherever you go. The same thing I believe applies to us when God sets us on a path, when God gives us a mission, a goal, a task, a vocation. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what has God called me to? Some of us know this very well. Some of us are very, like, it's obvious. God, God called me to, you know, be, for some of us, be a provider, be generous, right? Uh, we have some successful business people here. Uh, you're, you know in your, in your heart that what, one of the things that God's called you to is to provide and be generous with the blessings that God's given you. Some of us here are in uh, the middle of, maybe this is you, maybe you're uh, in the middle of a divorce, um, or your family is breaking up, you're having a hard time um, with, in, in your marriage. And one of the things that you know that God's called you to do is to, is to be faithful in the middle of a trial. Um, you've been told to possess the land, the future for your kids, you know, to possess that, that hope 
that God is going to be faithful. And right now, it's, you're being ground down, but you know that's what God's called you to. For some of you, for some of us, we know that God is calling us to get outside of ourselves and begin serving him in radical and self-sacrificial ways. For some of us, God is calling us to take a step of faith into, into the unknown, um, to do something that we're not comfortable with. For some of us, we know that we're in a, in a stage of preparation where God's preparing us for something. God, we, we, we know that there's, there's a land out there that maybe it's in Tennessee, maybe not. Um, but we know that there's a land, a church out there somewhere, something that God has called us to, and we're being prepared for that. We're in waiting. The question we have to ask ourselves is not only what is the land that God has called us to possess. Maybe it's that church, Leah, in Mexico that we need to build. We don't have to only ask that question as, as individuals and as a church. What has God called us to possess? We also have to ask ourselves, are we standing on the river just waiting to dip our feet in? Have we, do, are we aware that God's caused something, but we look and we, we know what happens if we, get, if, our, if we get our feet wet. We know that we are making a commitment to following through, and that might cost us. There will be resistance. I have uh, these questions printed out here for you. What land has God called you to possess? What river must you cross to signal your commitment? And that is for every individual here. It is also for us as a church corporately. A lot of times, a lot of times, getting your feet wet means giving. It means putting your money there. A lot of times, getting your feet wet means actually going to a place and surveying the land. Sometimes, getting your feet wet means just vocalizing it, just saying it out. I'm doing this. Hold me accountable. What's going to make it successful? What is, what, is, what is God saying? Okay, if you're willing to do this, if you're willing to get your feet wet, if you're willing to go after this land and possess it, what must you do? Well, uh, he, he tells this to Joshua. God says, be very careful to act in accordance with all the the instruction, the law, my servant Moses commanded you. Don't turn from the right hand or the left. This book of the law, this instruction, shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate it on day and night so that you may be careful to act in accordance with all that is written in it. It's an odd bit, uh, shall not depart out of your mouth. This is a Hebrew idiom. Um, very few translations make this easy to understand because it sounds like in English, um, this, the book of the law shall, won't come out of your mouth, right? It won't. What it, what it really means is uh, don't ever let the book of the law stop being in your mouth. You see the difference? Don't ever stop letting God's instruction be in your mouth. Chew on it. And this is actually very literal. Uh, so even today, if you, if you see um, our Jewish friends, if you watch a rabbi uh, read Torah, even if the rabbi is reading Torah to himself, it looks like this. Shema Yisrael, Elohim. There, he's speaking Hebrew, but he's, but he's in his head, right? But he's moving his mouth. 
Uh, this is an interesting... Did you know, actually, that silent reading was actually invented not just a couple hundred years ago? We all do it, right? We all read silently. Does anyone here, like, vocalize to yourself while you're reading in the beginning? Does anyone do that? Doug does. JT does. Oh, good. Um, that's actually looked at as kind of weird. So it's appropriate that it's you guys who admit it. Um, but... But it's actually, it's, uh, it's the ancient way that people read. Um, in fact, it was only scribes who possessed uh, the holy uh, talent of silent reading in the ancient world. Everybody, when they read, they, they read out loud. In fact, even when you're doing silent reading, when you're not saying anything, uh, did you know that you're, uh, there's a thing called subvocalization? Your larynx is actually making tiny movements. Because your, 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 your body is actually forming the words that your mind is is going to, to read. This is because you were designed to read out loud. You were designed to have your body involved in the process of reading. If you were, uh, last, if you were here last week, we talked about how in praying, right, we bow our heads, fold our hands, very quiet, very pious. But actually prayer in the Bible is described as a very physical act. It's something your body gets into. It's because God designed us not just to be in the mind, but to be in the body, to engage our bodies with the things that we do. And so when the Lord says, do not let your, my instruction depart from your mouth, what God means is, I want you chewing on it all the time. Recite it to yourself. If you're reading it and you can read, which was not common, if you're able to read, read out loud. If you can't and you just remember it, even when you're doing your memorization, move your mouth. We know, um, actually, we have tons of studies that show that um, you, you recall what you read much better if you just mouth the words while you're reading. Isn't that weird? Um, we, we have tons of studies, and every single one shows that if you, if it's best if you read out loud, but even if you just move the mouth, you're like, if you're reading in the beginning, like, if, if you do that, you have a much better chance of recalling it. Why is this important? Why am I bringing this up? Miyamoto Masashi was the greatest samurai in Japanese history. He, uh, I think he retired in 1643, but during the 17th century, he was uh, undefeated in 66 duels. At the time in the 17th century, uh, the, the daimyos were fighting for power. The empire was in disarray. And so they used their, the shoguns and the daimyos would use their vassals, the samurai, to, uh, to fight for them so that they wouldn't have to have their armies clash. And so they would send out their, you know, their best samurai and they would duel to the death. Musashi killed 66 people in single combat and countless more during melees. He wrote, when he retired, he wrote um, the Book of the Five Rings, which is, along with Sun Tzu's Art of War, uh, the, probably the two most influential uh, texts um, uh, concerning war and combat from East Asia. One of his quotes, and I have it here, you can only fight the way you practice. He, he goes on to, to describe, because he has these different, um, I guess they're different forms. I don't know much about killing people with swords, but 
he had like, there's like the elegant grace form and then the, the water and ice form. And so he goes on and he's like, if, if you don't set yourself into the water and ice form daily, and you don't set yourself into the elegant grace form uh, at least once or twice a week, when you're actually fighting, what's going to happen is you're, you're just going to drop your sword and you're going to get run through. And this is because Musashi understands something about combat because he lived through it. And there are a few of you, you here who have lived through combat. You know that um, when you're at war, when you're fighting, you can't think. Or you can only think a little bit. People who've been in combat will tell you that it's chaotic. There's much more going on than the human mind can comprehend. We're at a loss. We, 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 and so what we, what we do is we revert to muscle memory. We revert to subconscious training, subconscious uh, rote techniques that we've built up in our mind over a long period of time. And if you haven't done that, when the time comes and things get hot, you freeze. Uh, the United States military, uh, the most efficient killing machine in all of human history, actually, especially the Army and the Marines, they take uh, Musashi's advice. They're built um, on this advice. You can only fight the way you practice, and it gets uh, changed to fight the way you train, train the way you fight. And so our soldiers go into situations when in training that mimic or, or, or prepare them, show a figuration, an example of what they'll actually be doing in the field. And so when the first time the bullets start flying and there's explosions in the air, even if the brain shuts off, they just do it. God's saying, Joshua, I know that you're getting ready for some actual combat, because it's going to happen. And as we go through Joshua, we'll see that there's a lot of blood. But God says, instead of practicing your sword forms, I want you to be practicing your scripture forms. I want you to be chewing on my word constantly. And the reason for that is that when you encounter resistance when you're actually going to do the thing that I've called you to do, you will freeze up. You're not, you're not equipped to handle the resistance that's going to come your way. You're not ready for that. You might think you are, but you're not. And there's, there's got to be something deeply inside of you, deep, deep down, so that when the bullets are flying and when action's happening, you immediately, you godmatically, automatically revert to my way of seeing things, my way of doing things. And so if God has called you to possess a land, and God has called you to get your feet wet, to go and do it, to express your commitment, you had better be soaked in Scripture, chewing on it. Because it is shaping, it is shaping the way that you see and think the world. And so when other voices, when propaganda hits you, when people tell you this or that, when they say you should go here or there, you're going to filter it right out. Because you're going to have God's word as a defense, an automatic defense in your mind to tell you, this is who you are, this is who I am, this is what I've called you to do, this is what you're going to do, and, and just shut out the noise. 
And that brings up that question. I have it here. Have you absorbed? I say absorbed. Remember that. <laughs> Meditate on it day and night. I mean, the, the language is visceral. Like, let it just be the air you breathe. Don't ever let it depart chewing on in your mouth as you read it. Have you absorbed Scripture so that you obey God automatically? But what's the most important part of the text? What does Joshua need to know most? He has to do that, yes. But there's something else that's absolutely critical if he's going to go possess the land, and it's this. Be strong and courageous. Does God say that just once? He's like, hey, be, God, be strong and courageous. Nope. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I submit to you that we have a, uh, a massive courage problem in this culture. What is courage? Courage is it's interesting that, that God says don't be frightened or dismayed. Um, because courage by definition is acting in a certain way even though you're frightened. Right? You're not, you're not courageous if you're like, like, it's not courageous for me to go on the internet and look up Google because I'm not scared of that. It is a little frightening for me to be like, hey, are you cool if we tear out some of the pews? That scares me because before I've done this, and like, people begin crying. Like, it's, and I'm like, oh, I didn't mean to break your heart. I just want to make the space more functional. Like, imagine if we could have like, you know, coffee tables and stuff over there in the back, so so Jeff could like be sipping coffee in a, on a like a, a stool while he's listening. Um, we can make the. It doesn't matter. My point is, you're not going to be courageous unless you're a little bit scared. But I think what God's commanding is He's saying He's saying once you engage that courage. Once you move in, once you get your feet wet, once you start to depend on God, you're going to find that God shows up. And you're, at the beginning, you're like, oh my gosh, we're outnumbered 12 to 1. There's no way we're going to possess this land. It's impossible. But you start to get your feet wet, and, and, and some of the, 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 the obstacles get cleared for you, and you begin to see things working out, and you're like, Wait. God's not lying. He's really with me. I don't know what to make of that, um, that thing in Uvalde um, a couple weeks ago. We've heard some really disturbing reports about potentially um, law enforcement not uh, waiting. Um, I, I don't know if that's true. I've just heard that. People have told me that. I haven't read too much about it. But if that is true, that's very disturbing. And it reminds me of, uh, you remember several years back, the Parkland shooting in Florida, where, again, um, we had people, armed people, not intervening. We've also had some really uh, inspiring stories, though. I have a picture here of uh, Jacob Albato. This guy was getting his hair cut. And his wife taught at the school, and she texted him, said, active shooter, uh, help, I love you. And so with a very bad, partially done haircut, he took the barber's shotgun. 
He was an off-duty uh, border patrol agent. He uh, breached the school and just began um, evacuating by himself. The, like he just he kicked in a door and just began getting people out as fast as he could because he, he knew his daughter was there, he knew his wife was there, but he also knew that we, in this situation, this is what you're supposed to do. You go in, you help. Three weeks ago, there was the shooting in Laguna Woods at the Presbyterian Church. It would have been an absolute massacre, uh, except for courage. This is uh, Dr. John Chang. That's a picture of him when he was in college on the right there when he was at Baylor. Um, 52 years old, one of the youngest people that was there. And the shooter comes in. You have to understand, the shooter, like, sealed all the exits and had explosives around. Like, the idea was to kill everybody there. But this one guy, Dr. Chang, says no. He picks up a chair. Or no, no, he just rushed the shooter. I think the pastor picked up a chair. That's my plan. That's why we need to get rid of the pews. That was a terrible joke. I apologize. He rushed that shooter. It cost him his life. Uh, He has family at Stony Brook. Um, But Dr. Chang was a good man, a Christian man who understood that this life isn't all there is. And it's our duty as men to protect the vulnerable. And so, because he had trained with Scripture over and over and over for so many years, here's a guy with no tactical experience, whatever. All he knew is what, what, what God told him to be as a human being, as a man, as, as, as a, a protector, as someone who helps and serves. God, God had shaped that narrative in his story uh, so that when, when the unthinkable happened, his, his brain went godmatically towards courage. And he saved a ton of lives. And when we see him again in the resurrection, it's going to be in a glory that few of us could ever possibly imagine. I messed up. Uh, to, are we in this culture? You know, that talk about propaganda and voices um, that we're going to have to be courageous against. Um, think about all of the the crazy interpretations of sex and gender that are going on these days. Just a complete misunderstanding, a complete, absolute disastrous understanding of what uh, sex is for and even who we are identity-wise. And I say this as somebody who I have a, a trans cousin whom I love deeply, uh, but I, I, am, I am, I'm shocked at the, ex- at the explosion of children, mostly females, who are confused about what it means, what their, their identity, about who, who they are. Um, and I wonder if maybe that's because they don't have or they're not seeing in, in their lives examples of men being men and women being wi- women, 
of people who are deeply shaped and formed by Scripture about what we are called to be and who we are called to be. And I wonder if maybe that's a problem. And I wonder how much courage it takes to be like, listen, I love you. And I will always love you no matter what. But I'm worried. We as a church and as Christians, we're, we're, we're right at the, at the edge of the Jordan River. And God has called us to, to be a beacon, to be light in this dark and darkening place. He has given us land that we are called to possess. But it's going to take guts. It's going to take us stepping out in faith. It's going to take us being will, willing to be ridiculed, willing to be humiliated, willing to be... And yet do it. To be like Dr. Chang. Even though we might feel unprepared for what's come, coming next, if we want to possess that land, we have to dig deep. And remember, God is with us. He will not abandon us. As we go to possess the land, he will be there. And he will not forsake us or fail us. So brothers and sisters, let's not be afraid to get our feet wet. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we come to you as people who are just obsessed sometimes with safety, with, with comfort, with ease. And yet, God, you have set out lands for us to conquer. You've given us as individuals and as a corporate body Lands that we need to possess. And yet, God, sometimes we're afraid to get our feet wet. Sometimes we're afraid to take that step in faith. Sometimes we worry that we can't depend on you, that it might cost too much. God, I, I pray that you give us the courage of, of Dr. Chang. pray that you soak us in your word so that we see the world the way that you see the world so that when things get hot we just automatically revert to, to your way to doing what you would have us do God set your word in our mouths let us chew it day and night Holy Spirit pull us in to the river Jesus, be our example, the one who did it first. And may Coast Bible Church be strong and courageous as we stand for you, you God. Jesus, in your name we pray, amen.